e tipu area mongara o tōao. Ko tō ringa ki ngā rākau o te Pākehā, hei oranga mō tō tīnana. Ko tō ngākau taonga ao tipuna, hei tikitiki mō te mahunga. Ko tō wairua ki te atua, nāna nei ngā mia katoa. Grow up and thrive for the days destined to you. Put your hands to the tool of the Pākehā to provide physical sustenance. Your heart to the treasures of your ancestors as a diadem for your brow and your soul to God to whom all things belong. He ngā mana e ngā reo he mihi tēnei ki a koutou katoa e aretaringa mai ana ki tēnei hōtaka a te ahika. I'm Justine Murray. And I'm Mariah Rakuraku. Welcome back whānau mā to Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National. And it's our first show for the year. I'm sure you're all well rested after your summer break. I know we are. All geared up and ready to hit the Māori world. So don't be shy when you see us out and about, eh? That's right. Just like these young fellas I met in Kawarau last November at the very first Māori and inaugural Taekwondo tournament. How old are you? Six. How long have you been doing this for? About a month or something. How old are you fellas? Four, nine. And how long have you been doing Taekwondo oh, for? Five, six years. Aida, coming up, Mariah channeling her inner karate kid. Well, trying to. I tell you, Taekwondo isn't for the faint-hearted. And neither, it seems, is making a complaint to the Broadcasting Standards Authority about what's on our TV or radio. There's the paperwork for starters. But what's it like to be on the other side to hear the complaints? Well, Tero Kupina is about to find out as the first Māori appointed to the authority, and no doubt his legal expertise and broadcasting experience should come in handy. Uh, I'm you know, born and bred uh, a Māori or a Ngāti Pro, uh, and you know, all, all I'm really looking forward to, uh, to bringing is just the experiences that I've had. And it, I mean, as you know, the BSA really is. You know, has a strong moral and and value you know basis to it really, so the the all I can you know really do is just bring in bring in the experience or the perspectives the the environment you know that I've been brought up and uh, yeah to the board table and hopefully that'll that'll have some merit in terms of yeah the work that we that, that we're tasked to do. After digging in the archives, we've come up with the gold. It's 1968 and Tuhoi John Rangiho is forecasting to some Auckland Teachers Training College students what he sees in their future. There will be a closer approximation of the, ma- of the way that men and Maori women will live. Two, educational advantages being more marked will increase the marriage age will increase the marriage age. In other words, young girls whose only means of employment at the moment is marriage will now start to move in to other areas because if it is true that they're moving into the middle group, then they will have had some education to fit them into the jobs which are common in this middle group. And once they start getting into this, then they will realise that it would be better for them to get this education than to get married. So that will take place. Some prophetic statements from 40 years ago that could just as easily be applied today. From John Dungiho in our archival segment, Nga Taonga Kōrero.
Koe rā nā kaupapa e heke mai nei mō te hōtaka tuatahi a te ahikā mō tēnei tau. That's what's coming up in our first show for 2011. Nā reire te iwi me huri mai o koutou taringa mō te haura e heke mai nei. When I was growing up, it was all karate kid. Wax on, wax off. Me, there was nothing like Bruce Lee. For generations in the Bay of Plenty, it was Taekwondo master Norm Edwards, whose death at 63 last year, left a void in the Taekwondo community. Fittingly then, that the very first Māori Taekwondo tournament was dedicated to the person responsible for establishing virtually every Taekwondo club in the Bay of Plenty. On a hot, sticky, humid day, Mariah travelled to Kawero and met some of the people and competitors inspired by the veteran athlete. So what's your role here today? Um, I'm on the door, charging everyone that comes in the door today. How many people have come through so far? Um, we've had about, oh, about 200 people come through. So are those just locals or are those um, um, competitors? Com- competitors and um, their whanau. Whanaus, yeah, supporters, their kids, um, yeah. How long have you been involved in Taekwondo for? Um, I have three children that have been through it and it's got my full fun in it. And we've been involved for about 10 years. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah, oh, it's great, it's great for my girls, yeah. I've got three girls and one boy and he's four and he just loves it. (laughs) And are you a local? Um, I'm from Opotiki, we're the Opotiki Taekwondo Club. How many Māori do Taekwondo in Opotiki? In our Opotiki Club there must be about 90% of them are Māori. Yeah. So how many would that be, about 20, 30? About 30. Yeah,就是說的,也是不的哈,對,拍來,可不可以?這個是不的,rugged。誒,這個是不的,rugged,誒,you <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing here? We're selling um, t-shirts, um, memorial t-shirts for Uncle Norm and uh, Māori t-shirts for the Māori um, national competition. Can you describe what that t-shirt says on the back of it? Yeah, it's a whole lot of um, sayings that uh, are relating to Taekwondo. Kick it strong and kick it fast, make those kicks count and last because Taekwondo is a, a foot um, kicking sport. Yeah, um, a whānau that kicks together sticks together and that's because of the types of um, skills that we um, portray within Taekwondo like integrity and perseverance and that sort of thing. And so those... is that part of the Taekwondo whakaro, yes. like the Yes, yeah. Part of um, being Taekwondo is abiding to those tenets of Taekwondo, they call them. Yeah. Are you a Taekwondo? I'm just a supporting mum. Yeah. Good but, on your mum. Um, my de- uh, the the father and the two girls are all in Taekwondo. My daughter is an instructor of All Maramutu Taekwondo Club, and my younger daughter, who's thirteen, she is going for her black belt at the end of this year, and their father is going for his black tab. So I've got the best seat in the house at the moment. I'm sitting by the Fano of Master Norm Edwards, who is the reason that this tournament is in Kawero. 
it seems his influence was everywhere amongst the Taekwondo movement in Aotearoa. And by best seats in the house, I mean I'm sitting by the Edwards whānau. There's Mummy. <laughs> and there's um, Norm's sister, Katharaina. Now, Katharaina, I've just walked in from the refreshment room and there's a whole series of photographs and newspaper clippings on a table. That's right. Were you aware of how significant your brother's influence was within the Taekwondo movement? N not fully, but we always supported him. We didn't know how influential he was throughout the motu, but his daughter can tell you about this, how influential he is. So what's your name? Penny. Penny Edwards. So Norm Edwards is your father? Yes. And these are your kids? Yes. So these are his grandchildren? Yes. Now do you live here in Kawarau? No. I was brought up here in Kawarau and we lived here for many years and then mum and dad decided to move to Waitai. We were brought up with um, Taekwondo. It's um, Myself, I was only a little child, and I started when I was about uh, six, seven years old. How far did you advance? I went to black um, tip, and that was my last time in Kawarau when I got my black tip, and then I went off to boarding school, TOT College. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, you loved. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then also my brother Norman, his Norman Jr., they got their black belts when they were my brother, intermediate, and my sister at college. So can you talk about where did your father get this passion for Taekwondo? How did that happen? Um, he, I mean, oh. was he watching a movie? Did, did he watch a little bit too much Bruce Lee or what? No, no. He, um, the first instructor that was here was um, Brown Wilson, and that's how my father got started. And ever since then, my father put everything into Taekwondo. He loved it. He loved it that much that he put us, all his kids, into Taekwondo. And majority of us have all got black belts. we all got black belts. You know, from what I'm seeing today, Penny, it looks like it's a real lifestyle. Yeah. Although I did see pies and sausage rolls on the menu <laughs> in the cafe, and I was a little surprised. <laughs> but looking at all the um, competitors and just... I mean, I'm looking at fit people. Taekwondo has been a part of my father's life for many, many years, and he's loved it. He's loved the, the children. The children are what make him put a big smile on his face, and that's what he does it for. It's for the kids. Um, at the moment, um, they're gearing up. They're all stretching and preparing themselves for their, for their um, tournament fight. And then there are kids sitting with helmets and pads. Um, the kids with the helmets and pads, they're on ready um, to come on and have their fight and they're getting um, support from their instructors and leaders. You know what I'm noticing? I'm noticing how quiet it is. The person who's on the intercom going and now we have No, 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 everyone has their time. wrestling match. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready to rumble! I'm getting my codes mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, oh yeah, it'd be like, you know, they have someone on the intercom going, and now we have blah blah and blah blah. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. But no, what they get, they get given their times from the instructors, and they and they all know when to go and what time they fight and what time they have to be there, ready, padded up, and stretched. 
because you know I have been going on about this ever since I got here. I can't get over how many statues and trophies there are on that table. There are it's many. like there's one for one every single person here. <laughs> there's quite a few people who attended this, um, yeah. So there would be a lot of trophies, so what's and also that we. Um, we have donated to the clubs also a trophy from the whānau, Edwards oh, whānau. and that's the one that's right in the middle, eh? Yeah, yeah, so we donated that. And whoops, who receives that one penny? Um, it's for the most outstanding club. Right. Yes. So which was the club that your father founded? He started here in Kawaro. Um, Then he went to Rotoiti, started a club out there. And then he came back to Kawaro, and then we he moved to Waiotei, and he started a club in Waiotei, and then he started a club in Oporoki, and conjoined the two Waiotei and Oporoki, and then he moved, um, then he started a club out at All Maramatu. So basically, your father founded every single club that's here today. Yes. Peter Howe is my name. Okay, so Peter, how did you know Norman Edwards? Um, I first met Norm, my boys wanted to do a martial art and... Are these your kids? Yes, yes, my two boys. Um, uh, we looked all around for a club that would suit our requirements and when we saw Norm training and saw the respect and dedication that he was receiving from the students, we knew we were on to a good thing. How long ago was that? That was 1995, 1994, 95, yeah, around there. So... You had never heard about him before? No. And this is just you seeing him training some, some kids? Absolutely. And then how did it...? Well, um, he trained my boys for a year and I used to go how down... How old were your kids? Uh, they were five and eight. And um, Uh, I used to go down and help with the trainings and um, I actually broke my back previously that I've been into martial arts all my life and um, I'd sort of given up, I was unaware of my capabilities and Norm sort of coaxed me along and started getting me to do little bits in and around the background and slowly uh, convinced me to Taekwondo would be good for me as well and so I started it and my partner started it so we had a family affair where we were all training under Norm and um, we went on to be one of the uh, few families in New Zealand where the whole lot of us were black belts. Why Taekwondo over any other martial art? Oh, they've all got their relevance, they're all good, but um, this one just suited our needs. It was something where you can pad up and um, go hard on the ring and uh, you know you're fairly safe, you're not going to do any bad damage to your body sort of thing. The way the sport works, you know, it's geared towards making sure you get the um, get to perform at your peak without really endangering yourself. Some martial arts can be quite um, aggressive, or well, this is aggressive too, but it's a controlled aggression. So, you know what I'm amazed at? So I've been here for a couple of hours now, nobody's crying. Oh, give, like, it time, of, give it time, give it time. There are a lot <laughs> of kids early. here, and yeah, um, yeah. I haven't seen any tears. I'm like, these babies. Oh, yeah. No, they love it. It's brilliant. It is so good. It teaches them discipline, confidence, good for their self-esteem. Yeah, it's excellent. You know what? And some of these girls can hold their own too, eh? Oh, they're, they're grunty. They're deadly. Yeah, mm. yeah. So are you, have you carried on with the sport? I've actually um, I've, um, stuffed my back again. 
Staying. <laughs> but um, I've got a seven-year-old having his first fight today. Yeah. Yeah. My two older boys, um, they were black belts at uh, 15 and 12. Um, they're both North Island champ, New Zealand champ. My partner is the same, North Island champ, New Zealand champ. No, so, yeah, like I say, real good family sport, eh? Excellent. So we've got the next generation now. I've got a seven-year-old doing it and a six-month-old daughter that no doubt will want to follow in the family footsteps. And it's all because of Norm. I think Norm was about 38 years old when he started training. And he was a big man. You know, you have these preconceived ideas about what a black belt looks like. And he didn't fit them. all to be like Bruce Lee. So. Yeah, yeah, bounce off walls and roofs and, you know, do these amazing things. Well, um, he carried himself differently, but... Um, I ended up being his grading partner for um, three of his gradings, his second down, third down, and fourth down, and the, he was amazing. He, he really was, you know. He, so what you're saying is that he came to the sport late, and there was no, he wasn't stereotypical. Not that I mean, as I'm looking around the room, right, I'm pretty much thinking that Taekwondo doesn't have any stereotypes at all associated no, with no, it. It's, it's you know, there's different sizes, but I am noticing a level of fitness. You have to be fit. Yeah. Yeah, it's a 70% kicking sport, you know, so, and everything's above the belt, so you've got to get your legs up, so you have to be of a reasonable fitness to do that. But then you can learn that aim. That, that's part of it. Like I say, when, when I started doing it, um, I, I'd just broken my back. I'd done nothing for four years because I was unaware of my capabilities, and our warm-up used to be two laps around the rugby field before we started training, and, and I was... Had it after the two laps around the field before, you know, and a year later I was um, doing two-hour runs up in the fire breaks before trainings. So it really built me really quickly. It was amazing. Now, could you describe what's happening over there? Like we're looking at two mats side by side, but I'm seeing two kids. Yeah, the obviously um, team patterns event. Now, what's that? Uh, they're doing patterns. They're pre-arranged um, patterns. And do they do it in sync? Yes. Is that the whole purpose? Oh, yes. You know what it does not need, eh? It does not need. It is, yeah. No. It's beautiful because it teaches you to use both sides of your body. You don't just but like, normally have a, one, a, yes, you have a dominant favor, side, yeah. that's dead right. Yeah. And it's, um, the side you use left yeah. and right, right from white belt, you're, you're taught. Do all your muscles need? are the same size, so they should all function the same way. Okay, Bruce from Papua. Could you describe to me what's actually going on here? Are these here the, the pumzos, or what they call, I suppose, karate, they call them katas or patterns. And it's just a series of moves with, you know, blocks, punches and kicks. But you only do the one what's on the colour of your belt. Oh, is this like a, 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 like a grading system? Yeah. And so if you're at a certain grade, you do certain moves? Yeah. Oh, right. Ooh, they're full of sharp, right? So can you tell me the grades? you got uh, yellow belt, like these little fellas here. So where's the lowest? Yellow belt. Okay, this, this, so this, that's this. what Te Fuddy is doing right yeah, now? Yeah, Chair, I don't even think I can lift my leg that high. <laughs> and then you got, um, then you got the, the green belt. Yeah. And then you got the blue belt. you got the red belt. Guys, and then next one is the black. So Bruce, is it not assessed by age? Is it more by you being able to meet a certain type of criteria at each grade? Yeah, yes, yes. Right, so you could be a yellow belt at 40, 
No, no, these people that are about 50 and 60, they do it. But it's only just for the, um, just for their health and well-being, you know, they give it, oh, a, yeah. give it a shot. So why would somebody pick up Taekwondo? Um, I think I think with Taekwondo, it flexes every, every part of your muscle. But why would you choose this over, say, karate? Oh, one for the safety aspect, you know, um, ACC and everything now, a um, lot of sports. You know, you get injured now, um, you got to have um, um, you know, proper safety equipment. But from Taekwondo, kids 12 and under, no head contact. They've got safety pads, safety shins, safety arms. Because I can see some girls over there and they're wearing helmets. Yeah. Like full face helmets. Yeah, that's the 13 and up, that's head contact. Oh, yeah. Do you be a bit hard getting kicked in the head, Bruce? Um... Everything's all like you know. If they got a kick, you know that the, the referee will jump in. You'll make sure they're right. You know, how many fingers am I holding up? You know, when's your date of birth? If they can answer all that, and it's up to you. You know, you know if you're not feeling right, you don't carry on. Or if you tell a judge you're right, you know that's that's worth two points to the your opponent. You can come back and kick them in the head, and they'll get the same treatment. So you know, it's um, yeah, a lot of it. A lot of it is, um, you know, you, you know, you train for it. You train not to kick your head. But, you know. What does Taekwondo mean? In what language is it? Korean just means the way of the foot, the way of the feet. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, ninety percent is all with feet, jumping up in the air. Like karate is like 50-50, half your hands, half your feet. But um, no, Taekwondo is good because kids are like, kids are flexible at a, such a young age. Yeah. And, you know, and if they keep doing it, they, like even that, um, well, these guys here are about 10, 10 or 11, and, they, and no, they're pretty good, you know, especially their body-wise. Hardest part is when they first start off, you know, they can't stretch, but heaps of kicking, heaps of sprints, heaps of stretching, and their legs are like rubber bands. So you've travelled from Parthia. How many in your club? In Pātia, um, just with the kids, I've got about uh, 12, 13. And with the parents, they come along and help another team. You know, they just um, help with um, uh, whether it's washing the uniforms, um, cleaning all the pad gear, sweeping the floors. Because all, all our training is keeping the, the, the dojo clean. Everyone's got to sweep the floor. Everyone uses a toilet, so you've got to clean it. So it's all part of it, eh? Hygiene, you know. So it's really a way of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. you can then use in other parts of your life. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, I, I took. I, I'm also an active rugby league coach. A lot of stuff I take from Taekwondo. I take to rugby league. Um, coaches over in Australia have been using Taekwondo stuff for years, stretching. And now, uh, just recently, they're getting into a lot of jujitsu, how to hold a player down on the ground. So you know. A lot of these things uh, complement each other. Now we're sitting in a, um, a gym, well it's kind of like a big hall but a gymnasium yeah. and we're on the ground level and then around us is like a stadium or seating yeah. and there are signs everywhere of all the different taekwondo clubs and everyone's kind of sitting behind their signs yeah, yeah. and are people just waiting for their turn? Well they're waiting until these two events finish and then it's, and then it's the fighting. Is that yeah. exciting? If you're a parent, it is. And someone, if it's a parent, it's not. 
because you know you get you get you get hyped up more than what your, your kid does. And um, but the other thing is not winning or losing; it's just partaking. You know, you take your you take your wins, you take your losses. But uh, you know, it's just that you know, I've, I've brought fighters that never won anything, never been up on here, and the day they did, you know, that, that was it. You know, they everyone gets a turn. But you know, the competition—you just got to look at the competition. It's pretty pretty even um, you know, around. They try and to try and put the kids on weight, age, height, and rank as close as they can to match them up. Sometimes you might see just a little bit of a match, uh, mismatch, but you know that's a bit of agreement with us. But you know that might be because they haven't got a match up. The kids don't fight. So for me to bring someone all the way over and not fight, yeah, I'd rather, rather bring them over and give them a go, whether they win or lose. At least they've been in the ring. Okay, that's your job. You've got to score something. You see it, you score it. Okay, most important. Okay, so keep your eyes open and watch the game and make our job a little easier. Okay, appreciate that. The, co yeah. the coaches, the coaches, if they see a point and they put their hand up and going, there was a point, ping them, bang. <laughs> We're refereeing today. And these guys are going to be corner judges. Yeah, so those, that's why the chairs are located where they are around the mat? That's correct. Right. Yes. So they're so, your eyes? Yes, they're the ones that actually got to score the points. So they're like touch roofs? Very similar, very similar. Yes. So the, the, in the middle, where the referee is, we're actually ruling the fight. We're making sure the fight is fair. And we're, we're relying heavily on the corner judges to do, to do the scoring. So we control the match, they do the scoring, and together we're a team. So what do those numbers mean that are kind of like on the, the, um, number, the like flip chart numbers? Sure, the first number there is this court, this court one. And zero one is the first fight for this court. And you'll start over there on... Two zero one. So do the fights two. run simultaneously? Yeah, you'll you'll be selected with your fighter on court one. Everyone's got a program, so they'll be following that. Every all the fighters have been already selection has been made, so they're already paired up in their divisions, make categories. So they're all set and they all got their numbers to, ready to come on. So what role does the television screen there play? That's that's a score. So everyone can see the scores going on. So when they get kicked, on here is electronic scoring. So they're, they're pushing the buttons oh, here right. as, as the corner judges, and you'll see it up here straight away. You know, they're, they're scoring the points. So even as a, as a referee standing, if I see points and they're not coming up, I can call the corner judges or there's a problem somewhere. You know, so you know, we can resolve it and get it back on track again. So make it fair for the players. How long does the fight go on for? Uh, depends on how old they are. But uh, the little tackers, the little little kids, they fight three one-minute rounds, um, and the adults up to three two-minute rounds. And what's doable? You are allowed to kick anywhere above the belt, above the waist, um, and you're allowed to punch in the body, but not to the head. With the the children that are under 12, they're not allowed to kick to the head either. So they're only allowed to kick and punch to the body. But anyone over 12, you can kick to the head, but you can only punch to the body. Can you push? Not allowed to push, not allowed to hold, not allowed to elbow. It's pretty pretty clean fighting actually, it's mainly all just kicks. So is it about kicking someone until they fall down? Nope, nope, if you get a clean kick you'll get points. 
Oh, it's so just it's whoever has system. the most points at the end of the fight, they win. So how much is it to kick above your chest? Uh, you get kicked in the body, it's one point. Yeah. You get kicked in the head, it's two points. If you do a spinning kick, you get an extra point. So if you get kicked oh. in the body, but it's a spinning kick to the body, you get two points. You get kicked in the head, but it's a spinning kick, you get three points. So how many fights are we going to see today? I think there's around about 60. That's a lot. It's awesome. That's because you've got to give those trophies to people and that. Yeah. yeah a lot of good. trophies over there. I know. <laughs> awesome trophies. How long have you been doing this for? Uh, 18 years. Started when I was 12. So. Damn. So is it just a natural progression that you go through the sport and that you eventually end up as a administrator? Uh, yeah, I um, couldn't compete anymore. Injuries and various other reasons so I need to stay in the sport somehow and try and give back I suppose because so many other people came through as officials when I was competing at a black belt level so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a natural progression. Parents we kind of just make sure our kids are there and ready <laughs> and we only know the basics. So as a parent is it, an, is it an expensive sport? No I don't think it is. The tournaments yeah they can be with the travelling but you yeah, only do those a couple of times a year. So you're based here in Kawaro, yep. Pūtawaki, yep. so how often do you travel around the country and where um, do you go, where's the furthest you've been? Uh, South Island is the first the club's been but I didn't go on any of those ones. Um, but we go to New Plymouth and Wellington regularly. So why did you get your kids involved in the sport? She wanted to do it. Just like that? Yep, that was her choice. Had she seen other people doing it? Yeah, here she is here, she had school members doing it and she's still doing it now. What's your name? Damasa. And where have you come from? Pātia. Okay, so can I record you fellas doing your kicking? Yeah. Okay. We will do that now. Whoo! How old are you? Six. How long have you been doing this for? About a month or something. How old are you fellas? Four, nine. And how long have you been doing Taekwondo oh, for? Five, six years. Yeah, and what, can you describe what you're wearing? Oh, I'm wearing a um, red and black v-neck, um, a red belt, black chip, um, white pants and a white top. And what does that mean, what, the colours that you're wearing, boy? Um, that's the traditional colours of Taekwondo. But what does it mean that you can do? Uh, I can fight. <laughs> yeah, now watch this. Name? Mason. And what are you wearing? Tell me what you're wearing. You're wearing like these funny things on your feet. What are those? Um, the, um, the pads. What? Um, we have to kick with the um when we're um fighting after the patterns. We're um doing some fighting, and we need these if they kick over here. Oh, so those are like little so pads on your arm. Um, um, pads. And then what are those things on your feet? Um, kicking pads. What um can um kick. Kick, and then we've got to try, try kick it, to, try kick it to um get points. And what do you what's what do you what's that called? Groin guard. A groin guard, and you wear that outside of your uniform. Oh. But you wear a groin guard outside of your dojo. Yeah, I don't want to have one because Mum's got it, and I got all the pads and, and things. And you you have a big circle pad and white stuff over here, and you and you kick them. That you block your pads and you have to 
Yeah, the cook the other person's paid when you're fighting someone. And just 45, a 45 degree kick with your leg. Yeah. yeah. Um, just punch to the stomach and round kick to the stomach. So how old are you, Dylan? 12. And are you fighting today? Yeah. Are you scared? Kinda. <laughs> Have you fought before? Yeah. Yeah? How'd you get on? Um, we've got three or oh, two trophies, one gold medal, a silver and a bronze. Goodness, it's when you've got room for that in your house. And what, what are you hoping to get today? A gold. Ooh. You know, I'm looking at a big table over there, so it's a two trestle loads on a three trestle tables full of trophies. Are you hoping to get some of those? Yeah. Yes. Nga mihi ki te Norm Edwards, the Pātia Taekwondo Club, Bruce Kahukuranui, Maidini Kershaw, Peter Howe, all the kids, namely Te Fauwhare, Mason and Awatere. There are photos of the Norm Edwards Memorial Inaugural Taekwondo Tournament at our website radioNZ.co.nz forward slash Te Ahika, that's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. Click through to the photo gallery and you'll see them, as well as lots of other really interesting photos. And while you're there, you can sign up to our weekly newsletter. You'll find the link on the page as well as the Facebook logo. I'm Mariah Rakraku. I'm Justine Murray and this is Te Ahika. Every now and then an announcement pops up during the ads on TV about what you can do to make a complaint if you see anything you find offensive or inappropriate on TV or radio. The organisation you can contact is the Broadcasting Standards Authority and its job is to ensure that broadcast programmes both on the radio and TV adhere to its codes of conduct. With the exit of a number of members that includes someone journalist Tapu Misa, the authority appointed its first Māori member, lawyer and some Sometimes television host Tero Kupinga. Hiko Kiora Kuehika, Kotero Mafu to Kupinga Takuingo, Ingariko Takuingo Karanganga Kotero, Nongati Prao, no Tiaitanga Amate, Tiawira, Ingari Kekoneke Poneke, Winahuani, Tenewa. I was appointed to the Broadcasting Standards Authority by the Minister of Broadcasting, Dr. Jonathan Coleman. It's a three year term. And uh, actually, as of uh, just this week, we've had our had our first meeting, our first board meeting. Uh, so, as a as a board member, uh, you've got two key roles really. One is to uh, to consider complaints that are received by the Broadcasting Standards Authority, uh, and the second is to to act as a governor. So you're yeah, effectively the governor of uh, of the Broadcasting Standards Authority. So you're sitting as a, in a governance role. So then, today, I mean. You may, I mean, you're the first Māori appointed to the BSA, as we mentioned. But I mean, what does what does that bring with it? What what do you bring to the table? Well, I'm not sure really. I mean, the, the the thing is that I can only go off my own experiences, really. And obviously, I'm I'm proud to be Māori. Uh, I'm you know born and bred uh, a Māori or Ngāti Pro, uh, and you know all, all I'm really looking forward to uh, to bringing is just the experiences that I've had. And it, I mean, as you know, the BSA really is. You know, has a strong moral and and value you know basis to it really. So the the all I can you know, really do is just bring in bring in the experience or the perspectives the the environment you know that I've been brought up and uh, you know, to the board table and hopefully that'll that'll have some merit in terms of yeah you know, the work that we that, that we're tasked to do. Do you think that you're in a position, um, Tero, t- um, to 
use those experiences and draw on your culture and knowledge of, of, of things Māori or, or Ngā Kaupapa Māori, teach your fellow panellists um, about about Kaupapa Māori if you should re- need to? Uh, possibly. I mean, there's no doubt that we have a, have a very unique perspective on the world uh, and certainly on issues, just, you know, issues uh, yeah, that are value-based because, uh, as you know, our culture has, in many ways, a very different value base uh, to you know, to other cultures, you know, that even live here in New Zealand. Uh, and being a you know, coming from the from from Ngāti Pro, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have a uh, have a have a very strong uh, you know, upbringing, strong Ngāti Pro upbringing. Uh, yeah, that was value based. That was based on our tikanga, you know, Ngāti Kangaake, uh, Ngāti Pro. And the, in terms of an education, yeah, whether that I'd see that as an opportunity to educate my members, possibly. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm really not there to educate. I'm just there to to represent our community, and that's yeah, the New Zealand you know, broad uh, broad community. The issue comes down to whether there's a, you know, whether there's a, a conflict between yeah. uh, Tikanga Māori and the current you know, standards and codes, um, you know, that the BSA operate. You know, I think probably what's more important, really, when it comes to to complaints, is just how complaints are resolved. So often, you know, tikanga Māori, we have a very, um, you know, straightforward approach to to dealing with complaints, as you know, mm. you know, and I and I know as a you know, I used to be um, used to do a panel on Good Morning, and uh, my mother would be the first person to call me if she didn't like what I said, you know, on the on the mail panel. Uh, and in same with nannies, aunties, cousins, you know, if they friends, if they didn't like what I said, they'd come straight to you and tell you they didn't like what, what I said. And that's probably for me uh, an interesting perspective. I think that we can bring is that we have a different way of of dealing with complaints. Uh, you know, we're now so the BSA has been running 21 years. You know, we've now it's a totally different environment now, in many ways, in terms of Māori media to you know the environment, the broadcasting environment that you know was was. Um, operating back yeah, 21, 22 years ago. Yeah. We now, now have a Māori television. Yeah, that's a you know, a strong uh, you know, broadcaster. We have you know, Te Reo Ngā Reo Māori, you know, iwi radio stations, uh, you know, Māori radio stations that, that are broadcasting around the country. Uh, and so it, what I you know, will find interesting, being a Māori member, is, is whether uh, you know, complaints do come, come in about Māori television or about radio, uh, Māori Radio and how you know, how we deal with those complaints at this stage. I mean, yeah, I just know uh, from my experience as a uh, you know with Radio Ngāti Pro or with you know with Māori Television uh, and my own personal experiences as a presenter, you know that that is the way that our many of our people deal with with uh, complaints. Is they'll either tell you yourself, or if they don't know you, they'll know somebody that knows you, and they'll yeah you know, those people will tell you. And actually, that's that's one thing that I find interesting. Yeah, you know, just with my work with Māori Television. Uh, was that you know they're very uh, well. I mean, I, I found anyway, and personally found that uh, where there has where there was a complaint, where there was an issue, uh, you know, Māori Television were more than happy for you to come and have a cup of tea, sit down and talk about the issue, uh, and to try and remedy it, you know, personally. Because at the end of the day, you know that those are your stakeholders really are our are our whānau, you know, Māori members out there that are, you know, viewers out there that are watching. Yeah, which wouldn't be the case for some mainstream type environments where it's all paperwork. Maybe not as personal, for want of a better word. You know what I mean, eh? Like yep. the, with, we, we're very much, I mean, even with radio, I mean, when I was at, with Radio Ngāti Pro, you know, the complaints would come directly onto the, 
you know, on the on the phones and even on air. On air. Yeah, oh yeah, when Cordell Jews was alive, far out, he was one of the he was one of the biggest critics. If he didn't like what you'd said, he'd call on air and he'd tell you on air in front of everybody <laughs> while everyone was listening uh, why he didn't like you, know, you using a particular word. I remember we were talking about Tau Pati once at one time. This was on air. Well, it was Kahu um, Waitoa on air. We were just talking about Tau Pati Pati you know, having debates. And he caught up and growled us on the air saying, no, it's not Tau Pati Pati. That's too serious. You fellas are talking about Tau Tohe Tohe. And, uh, you know, I was like, oh, okay, thanks, Uncle. You know, but uh, getting, a, getting a growling on air was, I thought, really yeah. cool. And that's that real grassroots stuff, eh? Yeah, well, it's just tikanga based. Yeah. yeah, that this is your uncle calling and he's calling to, to give you a school. And it's actually better that it's dealt with up front and straight up, you know, and, and straight away. Uh, rather than sort of you know having to wait later on to you know to, to get it growling. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that, I mean that's what I do like, and that's what I've enjoyed about about Māori broadcasting. Yeah, my Māori broadcasting experience anyway is that it is very much straight up. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, and now you've come full circle. <laughs> full circle. What do you mean? Handling complaints in the studio, and now you're part of the BSA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Kia ora te kupinga, a newly appointed member of the Broadcasting Standards Authority. And while we're on the subject of broadcasting, near the end of last year, Minister of Māori Affairs Dr Peter Sharples appointed five new members to the Māori Broadcasting Funding Agency, Te Māngai Pāho. Chairman Dr Piri Shasha, Dr Hine Alda, Tony Waho, Taria Tahana and Gabriel Huria all with varied backgrounds were appointed. In an upcoming Tiahika, we'll talk to some of the new members. Over 40 years ago, Tuhoi John Rangiho delivered a lecture titled Brown Power and the Pākehā Problem to a group of teachers' college trainees in Auckland. As you'll hear, it's like he was looking into a crystal ball. power and the Pākehā problem. When I first looked at this, at this I saw brown power written up, and then I wondered to myself just what this meant. And in order to clarify what this meant for me, I had to detach myself from myself and have a look at myself from outside myself. Hmm. <laughs> Having done this, the quickest way that brought me back to reality in terms of brown power was the many times that I had participated in and seen and had done um, or had gone to parties which lasted from Friday night till Sunday night. And I thought here, contained within this group of people which I have seen so many times, it's this type of thing that perhaps you people are wondering about. Here, with all its virility, here with all its vigor, here with all the different shades that people put into it, you see Maori at its best. And may I say best? <laughs> may I say best and mean it? Because I'm not worried about it. And I haven't mentioned the word alcoholic party. I am thinking of parties which take place on the marae. I am thinking of parties which last from Friday to Sunday and any night of the week. And watching people, watching people get up and talk and speak and do the things that they have been used to. Watching old ladies who you, whom I would think uh, had one leg in the grave and one on a banana skin 
and getting up and living again those things that they were so used to and of which they are so proud. This to me, first of all, this was the first time I looked at brown power as such. The second illustration I would like, in order to clarify, and I would like to tell you, in order to clarify this, this question of brown power, was to see a group of young people in October of last year. And these young people were drawn from primary schools over the Bay of Plenty area. And their ages ranged from six years to 13 years. And these young people were attempting to do the things that the Maori Club was doing here. But without anybody watching them, they were going into rehearsals. And their coach, after half an hour, kept on saying to them, that'll do, you'll make yourselves hoarse. That will do, children, children. <laughs> and then finally, finally these children listened. But the thing which interested me was that after they had finished their, their rehearsal, it then became a spontaneous sort of thing, something which caught them up, something which happened, something which they had no control over. And this also was this brown power that I was looking at. And this was also this brown power which I believe does exist. Brown power then. Pākehā problem, as the President has said, they will be there for a long time to come. And they are our problem, aren't they? They are our problem because numerically they outnumber us. They are our problem because they're, they're the more dominant group. Dominant because of their history, dominant because of their outlook, dominant because of their attitudes, dominant because of their value systems as against ours. Dominant also because they believe, they believe that this is right, that the things that they are doing is right for every other person. But the fact is, that they do outnumber us and they are the more dominant group. And the fact is that we are beholden to them for so many things. And I believe that by the end of this, I hope anyway, you will believe that we will do something about breaking down this dominancy that they have, have held for some time. And on the question of what happens to the Maori in the year 2000, Mr. Rangiho first of all drew notice to his own meagre qualifications and went on. Well, first of all, I started my looking into it at the area of the family. And might I just remind you, too, that when Sid came to see me, he said, look, we're sick and tired of all the intellectuals and all the boys who know everything and all the knowledgeable men. We're looking now for someone who's pretty dumb but can talk. <laughs> And I said, well, yes, Sid, I, I qualify for that reason. And because I, am in, because I belong to that area, you will not get today uh, a talk which has been researched, a talk where I've spent some time looking at the uh, opinions of other people than myself, or a talk wherein I have gathered in information and material from overseas what you will be getting will be an intuitive thing, an intuitive talk based on my experience and based on my knowledge as a Maori. And of course, I believe 
that the first area in which we will see changes will be in the area of the Maori family. The Maori family, I suppose, have, have had to stand a lot of things over, over the last hundred years anyway, since we've come to grips with these other people, you know. Well, they're the most talked about, bullied, and the most rigorously regimented group of people in New Zealand. Every time anything blows up, those Maori parents. Every time anything goes wrong, those Maori parents. Mind you, some Pākehā parents are getting the same sort of treatment also. But in this case, it is true, isn't it, that the Maori parent and the Maori family gets a lot of criticism. I would suspect that the changes would come in this area because of three main things, and I will carry these on later. First of all, it will come in association and relation to the Pākehā problem that we are talking about because I believe that oh, only now are we in the position where we are facing up to the fact that we are a multiracial society. For the first time, the percentages of the people who are living in rural as against those in urban are changing. Where previously the Maori people lived in the rural areas, over the last 10 years, this position has been reversed. And you will find that there are now more people living in the urban area. And I would suspect that by the year 2000, there will be something in the nature of 70% of our total population living in the urban areas. This being the case then, it is now at this moment that we're starting to run through those areas of tension which appear to have given power and movement to the explosive situations occurring overseas. Firstly, the Maori has now become a neighbor for more European people. Secondly, he is now becoming a competitor for the jobs that are about. And lastly, he's now becoming a competitor for the love of the opposite sex. And with these three things, then, we, we can say that this is the situation we're in at the moment. And this is where I believe that the most change will take place, and that is in this area of the family. If it is true that 70% will will be in living in the urban areas, then these things must surely follow as a result, A, of this movement, and B, of the program, both governmental and otherwise, of getting Maori people and children especially educated to the extent that they will become better citizens and will have a better opportunity of getting uh, the types of work that everybody feels everybody should have. Now, in this area also, and if we are to, to examine history, and I must say that I haven't examined it because I've just said that I didn't read anything, but if, you, if we are to examine history, then it is quite obvious, isn't it, that the group of people who does make changes in, in any, and I don't like the uh, use of the word race, but in this case we'll use it, in any race are the middle group your middle group of people 
who then set the standards and who are, after all, the majority. And one of the Maori's problem is that the majority of their people are too, too far down the line and the, whereas they should be in the middle group. And uh, I believe that it is in this area that the, Ma that the Maori families will see the changes. It is in this area of their development it is in this area of endeavor where they will start to move into the middle group, where they will start to move, to move in on the trades and all those other areas in this middle group where the other races have been for so long. It is a fact, as my colleague reminded me uh, earlier today, that one of the stereotypes of Maoris is that they are those people who who are very good with their hands, but in the main they are the laboring type, the, the, draw, the drawers of water and the hewers of wood or whatever it is that they say. Uh, and there we are, but I believe that we are moving into this center group. And when we start moving into this, then we will start to see this type of change. One, there will be a closer approximation of the, of the way that men and Maori women will live. Two, educational advantages being more marked will increase the marriage age. Will increase the marriage age. In other words, young girls who uh, only means of employment at the moment is marriage will now start to move in to other areas because if it is true that they're moving into the middle group, then they will have had some education to fit them into the jobs which are common in this middle group. And once they start getting into this, then they will realize that it would be better for them to get this education than to get married. So that will take place. Three, the birth rate is likely to decline because of the effects of A, advanced contraceptive techniques, and the more rewarding alternatives to rearing children. And there must be some more rewarding alternatives. I wouldn't know because I haven't reared them myself. <laughs> but there surely must be. Four, the divorce and separation rate could rise as a wife's occupation makes more demands on her time, requires her to travel, and leads her to financial independence. This also are just natural sequences if we are to believe those things that I've already said. Five, the sexual behavior of women is likely to be similar to that of men. Six, women will invade those traditional areas of men's endeavor from which they are at the moment barred because one, there will be less need for the highly formal traditional practices on the marais, which areas the women are barred, and B, education will have done its work well and these women will be really clamoring for some sort of recognition. Mr. Rangihau then went on to describe 
the different Māori institutions. First of all, the marae. The marae's role has already been changing for the last hundred years. The traditional marae role for every tribe has been set down, and while some of them have been trying to follow this, changes have taken place. And these changes will continue to take place for as long as there are people A, living there, and people B, who living there, will have changed their attitudes and their modes of living. This marae, which we have tied up to another word, which is the Tūranga Waiwai, this marae will change in its function simply because, A, the demands of those people who have moved in to the middle group will dictate that it be changed, and B, the demands of the actual time will also dictate that the things that we know of as being part of the marae now will have changed completely. I will not submit to the view uh, which is expressed by some people that at that time we will get loudspeakers and turn on loudspeakers and say, this is Chief so-and-so now, he will welcome you and then, uh, and so on. I don't think it will go that far, but changes there will be. And the first change will be, A, in the way that Maori people in certain areas anyway look to the meeting house as not only expressing and being symbolic and of, the, of their eponymous ancestor, but also looking at it as much the same way as Pākehā people have regarded their churches, a haven, safety. And they will change this view because they will have found for themselves their own havens in wherever, whichever and wherever they have moved into. And that being the case, they will change their views on these particular places. And the Marae meeting house then will not be and will not have the same function as it does have at the moment. The other reason is that whilst at the moment there are able people like Mr. Sterling and Mr. Awatere and other and others who are safely ensconced on their, in their tribal areas, whilst they are alive and can continue to tie up genealogies, so long will there be need then for these meeting houses in certain areas. But if they die out, and therefore there are nobody to carry this on, then that meeting house will have less significance, even of an emotional tenor, than it has had in the past. Tūranga Waiwai. Our Tūranga Waiwai is that mystical piece of ground. And it is mystical because you cannot identify it in any material form. You can say that my Tūranga Waiwai is so-and-so, and you name the place. And while it is true that the symbolic form we put to it is the marae, it, in, it envelops more than just that little marae. It envelops all the traditions and the things about that area in which you were brought up. Now, if we, at the moment, believe in these things, then how can we transmit them to our children when they cannot see these things in front of their eyes? 
when all you can tell them is stories and not be able to drive these lessons home to them so that Tudangawaiwa will also change. It will, we will put a different concept on this word. We will put a different concept on this word which has meant a certain thing for this generation and which will mean a different thing for the generation to come, or for the generation who will be living in the year 2000. But I also believe that this generation will work out for themselves what they will have as their Tūranga Waiwai. While it is true that we are losing some of these uh, traditional ones, I believe that the young Māori has enough go in him and that power will carry him through to the point where he will find for himself this mystical Tūranga Waiwai of the year 2000. And the help will come from these other institutions which I will be talking about. A, the tangi. Uh, further, the tangi. The tangi at the moment means for the European who looks at it as a highly emotional time wherein is wasted a lot of energy and money with very little return. And I suspect that some Maoris are beginning to think this way also. But the main function of the tangi, is it not, is that here is the repository of those things which you cannot use day by day. Here, in this particular institution, is the time when you can identify yourself properly and completely with what is, at the moment anyway, a peculiarly Maori sort of ceremony. The tangi will change, surely, but it will not change sufficiently for it to have died out. And the sorts of things that will happen will be as is happening now and will carry on a bit further. And that is that people will have their tangis in the most convenient place. And in the most convenient place for the people living in that community. The tangi will still retain its original function and that of, of tying up, of keeping your kinship ties shiny and bright so that uh, you always know who your relatives are and it will keep on carrying out this function. But there will no doubt be a number of uh, very fair Maoris in these tangis and perhaps it will also change to the extent that you will not get the free and easy wailing that you do get now in your eyes and then perhaps we will have learnt from one another. But the whole idea, the whole ceremony will be there but with these changes as I said. Having looked at, having looked at these uh, changes in, in this brief time, I want to get back now to this Park Howe problem. And let's face it, uh, there is a problem uh, for us as Maoris in the Park Howe and it's the same way as there is a problem for the Pākehā in the Māori. But the problem is not one that, can, that is insurmountable. But it cannot be surmounted by legislation. You cannot legislate for attitudes, nor can you legislate. 
nor can you legislate for changes of attitudes or for feelings. This cannot be done. And if we are going to really get down to the, to the place where we will be together, then it means much more than just legislating for and then passing this over as, as being the end of the endeavor between uh, cementing relationships between Maori and Paga. It means a little more than this. It means, doesn't it, breaking down all the things that we, we now hold so dear. It means breaking down parliamentary representation and what have you. And it means also doing away with Maori Affairs Department. And it means also that the New Zealand aristocracy of uh, 2000 and beyond will have a lot of Maori blood in them. Because, because if we are not to pay lip service to this whole idea, idea of one people, then we must really mean it by doing away with those areas in which there must be conflict. But not doing them away, not doing away with them just to appease our guilty consciences, but doing away with them in the firm belief that each and every one of us could, make, could really make this work. And not being patronizing or any other way, and in my favorite term is not being the great white pregnant father, but being people one with another and liking one another in the same way that you would like, A, your brother and sister, and so on, and not trying to uh, do away with these things for the sake of doing away with them. Mind you, if natural events should follow, then the natural event to follow the latest amendment bill would be to do away with, with the Mary Affairs bill completely, wouldn't it? We have reached a stage where we have a Maori Affairs Bill, Maori Amendment Bill, and a Maori Amendment, Amendment to the Amendment of the Bill, and so forth, till, till you do away with it, till, till you have no bill whatsoever. And that is the future. And when you reach that stage then, and we are certainly well on the way now, then we will have reached also the stage where we will be breaking down all these things. The year 2000, finally, for me is is an year in which I believe we will just be starting, the Maori people will just be starting to move off. And in the terms of this conference, they will, have, they will use this intervening period between now and that year to set up their launching pad and will take into orbit in the year 2000, because by then, by then we will have met or confronted full on those first Three points which I pointed out to you in the first instance. A, we are now living as neighbors because more people are moving in. B, we are now competitors for jobs. And C, we are also competitors for the love of one another. And if we meet them full on, then, then we will be launching ourselves off into the year 2000, into that stage, as I said earlier, where you won't have the New Zealand founder societies, which they have now, for people who came out early, but you will have a who's who in New Zealand and wherein 
The only way you can get in is to be able to have some smattering of Maori blood within your veins. Jondangiho is recorded in 1968. After this broadcast, you can listen to an extended version of that lecture at radioNZ.co.nz forward slash te ahika. E tipu area mungara o toao. Kotoringa kingarako o te pakiha. Hei oranga mō tō tinana. Ko tō ngākau taonga ao tipuna. Hei tiki-tiki mō te mahunga. Ko tō wairua ki te atua. Nāna nei ngā mia katoa. Grow up and thrive for the days destined to you. Put your hands to the tool of the Pākehā to provide physical sustenance. Your heart to the treasures of your ancestors as a diedem for your brow. And your soul to God to whom all things belong. Apirangata wrote this Fakatoki at a time when Māori and Pākehā worlds were becoming less distinct and separate. The Fakatoki is encouraging Māori to stay true to their Taha Māori and to choose those parts of the Pākehā world they think can be of benefit. This is as relevant today as it was then. That's us for this week. Next Sunday, seeing it's Waitangi Day, our whole programme will be dedicated to that kaupapa. There's a book review from Hohua Kalan. He's sizing up the Treaty of Waitangi Companion from Tasman to today. And Mariah is on Matu Soames Island when the island is returned from Crown to Iwi ownership. We've got that and much more lined up. See you next week. He mihi tēnei ki ngā kaikōrero mō wiki. And if you see us in your rohe this year, don't be shy. Come and have a kōrero. He mihi atu ki ngā kairā wiki wiki mihini. Aira, mai te whānau a te ahi kā ki a tātou katoa. Mauri ora tātou katoa.